episode five another edition of the misconstrued podcast a uh, version sync s-y-n-k so you needed to know no wacky news stories just absolute madman philosophy i've been absolutely bored out of my mind because it's summer this the season that we're all supposed to be excited about because we get it out in our hot bikini bods out on the beach with the boys cracking cold ones but i've just been sitting on my ass more bored than a farm girl trying to figure out what to do with her clit while her dad's in town because she's bored too what do you do on a farm it's just a prairie full of animals that are absolutely disgusting how much can we fill up our free time with before we die and that brings me to the talking point of young adult novels <laughs> just because i read a lot as a kid growing up in the k through 12 system and i i read so much that i ran out of the cool young adult fantasies that i got to novels that were more romantic in nature and there's a lot of things about them they really cater to a budding sexuality within a teenage woman that I guess I just can't understand as to why they can be so not explicit but insinuated sexuality it's odd there's an odd tango to the overall bluntness so that the young teenage girl can understand it all the while hiding it from you know not from the publishers the publishers know what's going on but they they honestly probably support it but to hide it from the ignorant parents that don't see through twilight being this strange erotica did it start as an erotica that's what uh, no i'm thinking of 50 shades of gray but honestly the the way these young teen romance novels work out they're first off they're so un unwittingly unintentional unnecessary that's the word unnecessarily complicated i don't think any romance in a young teen romance novel is characteristic of real life what no the proximity of a couple plays a lot into how their relationship will develop it proximity dictates your relationships you're not gonna despite online dating maybe connecting you know 90 day fiancés most of it's all location based there's no one going to be that you're going to be dating that's out of your world and so misunderstood like you would see in a vampire romance you're not dating anyone that's so far fetched that he's fucking sucking your blood out while you jerk off to the feeling of his fangs in your breast that's not how that works you're dating another homegrown cowboy that wants too much out of you because you're probably a sibling. You're not you're not dating the cool cousin that came in from Costa Rica. That just doesn't happen in real life. So why does I think it's more of a fantasy of this strange because everyone wants to say, oh, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of this small town. I'm going to go see what the big city holds for me what are you really trying to find you're gonna end up stuck in the same county dating brad from third grade with a child at 19 years old <laughs> oh gosh that hurts to say 
I've seen it happen too often. But you're not getting the hot vampire. Statistically, you're not. But I like to think you can. Go after... You know, that's a good lesson to have, kids. When you are... When you have your sexual awakening, go after the cool vampire. Don't settle for Brad. What's Brad going to do for you? He's just going to show you how he can slap his dip can and how long grizzly long cuts can stay in his lip and still give him a buzz because he's so lightweight that he has a head rush almost 24-7 from the smallest dip. But what you need is you need hot Josepe el Chucacabra. He's going to show you what it's like to suck human blood. Because why, why would anyone want to live their life without experiencing everything, including attempting to digest another human's blood? You don't want to sit around listening to your husband from third grade. Okay, I want to clarify that. You're not dating a third grader, but you've known him since third grade. You're not, you're not going to want to sit there and listen to him brag about his new exhaust muffler that he got in the mail that adds another 20 decibels when he rolls coal off the stop sign. How? No, you want to know how exotic Josepe understood the mountain flowers in his area and reinvited a new horticulture that saved his home, t- home village. That's way more interesting. Find someone who interests you. So that's that goes on the pro side of young teen romance novels is a push, a an ins- installation of motivation. Well, it's instilling in you to go outside the box and learn what you can see from other cultures. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be getting out of these. That other cultures, that this is aimed towards a middle class, let's go with white, American girl that doesn't understand that she doesn't have to date brad just because her parents told her it'd be a good match and they'd be family friends for their whole lives and this is a more of a breakout of ethnocentrism because you're not going with the human you're going with the vampire and that's a whole new culture that's a whole new species what can you expect from that you know we see racism but do we see speciesism against uh cryptids like Mothman, vampires, werewolves, Bigfoot. Go date Bigfoot, kids. You don't know what he's packing. Don't mess with Sasquatch. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big thing you can get from it. Is that you can love anyone despite where you come from. And I think despite the cheesiness and cliche manner of that, I think that the industry thrives. The industry of young teen romance novels thrives on that because of each new generation coming up not understanding that the world is more than they know that outside of their town of their city their their county that there are vampires they're sexy vampires way more sexy than the third concrete cowboy that pops out of his ford f-150 lifted up to all hell and he takes off his plastic no i take that back his custom brimmed cowboy hat that he just slipped out of his mom's fucking cupboard that he stole from his dad that didn't make sense he stole his dad's hat let's go with that and it's really important to know that you know if you don't live in a diverse city don't worry there's there's more people out in the world and there's gonna be more than you expect because who the fuck expects vampires sexy ones i guess vampires have to be sexy according to their lore to attract more humans 
is that's a win-win for everyone. I don't care if I'm a little blood bag. If I got a hot bitch sucking me off, my blood, my sucking my blood off, and it's a good eye candy, and it's better than fucking fat fucking Letitia from downtown, I'm good with that. Uh, they're great. Young teen romance novels, you know? I came in pessimistic, but they're they're changing lives. They're changing mindsets of Americans across the globe. And uh, although, you know, almost overtly sexual to catering to 11-year-olds, you know, go for them. Go for them. 11-year-olds have sex, right? <laughs> Don't think about that. You know, it happens. I heard about a school that gave condoms out to 11-year-olds. What grade is that? What is that, fifth grade? Is that elementary school? Are kids doing the whole show me yours, show me yours, show me, I'll uh, restart, I'll show you mine if you show me yours thing at 11 years old? Apparently they do, because you hear about those awful fucking cases of them getting pregnant at fucking, uh, ugh, godly low age, not godly, ungodly <laughs> age, and that just brings into perspective of how much of our kids, how much do our kids know about what goes on in their bits between their legs. Our sex education system today is, you know, godly outdated. Why do I say godly? That doesn't make sense. Well, it would make sense because it's rooted in Christian values. Boom! It came around, kiddos! I shouldn't say kiddos while I'm talking about sex. Anyway, is pedophilia sexual orientation or power move? Who knows? Our sex ed today is dastardly unpreparing our youth. You know, and we question our high teen pregnancy rate. And what is that doing there, huh? Well, you know what it's doing there. It's because they didn't know what they were putting in there. <sighs> Kids, man. Kids are rough. Kids got it bad. If you don't have good parents, you just win a shit lottery and you hope for the best and hope for the best comes. That's why so many people are just complacent in their surroundings. It's familiar to them. Their brain loves familiarity. And if you're used to your dad beating you every night, you know, you're going to get a husband that beats you every night. It's what you come to expect is what your definition of family is. And that just goes into perspective of how much of our children, how much are our children being exposed to as a kid to really define those, those connotations of those words they learn in school. You know, if you learn about family in school, you, and it's all about, you know, this cookie cutter nuclear family. And, but you find out in the story you're reading in school, the dad hugs his daughter and you're left wondering there you know is that's not a family and if you and then you speak out in school hopefully the teachers help you cps comes you're in a better place but really what what is that better place you know with the foster system foster education system being so so bad just bad there's no other word it's just bad and ill-equipped whether that be government funding or not i'm not sure but if your definition of family is one that's consistent with alcoholism and abuse, it's not something you're used to if you see a good family. Like if you if you if you luck out and find a good guy, I'm talking about this from a female perspective. I'm sorry if you're offended by that. <laughs> anyway, if you go and you win that lottery and you find a better partner that's, you know, comes from a good family and you're from this alcoholism family and you are so culture shocked. It's these subcultures. It's not even one. It's not even a matter of race or another country. It's these small cultures within a town. 
it's these microcultures, microcosms, micro. I like the term microcultures. I made that up. I'm a professor. I went to Yale. Can I get a Yale? Yale? Mm, I'm sorry. <sighs> Where was I? Right, microcultures. And you see these individual, these new neighborhoods, these new communities. You, you're so blown out of the water. And it's something that a lot of people either A, don't recognize, or B, don't recognize soon enough. That's why we have all these, you know, the, the age-old stereotype of beaten housewives coming back home because that's all they know. It's really sad to see, but it's consistent with the, how the brain works. The brain loves familiarity. On that topic, if let's say, uh, compared to a thermostat, if you're living a 75 degree life you're cool middle class you're coasting everything's just good enough you don't worry about food on the table but you're not raking in six to seven figures that's a big gap but let's say mid six figures you're cool you're living a 75 degree life and you're sitting there like yeah i'm fine with 75 degrees well if you start getting a promotion you get a promotion to work you're making 50000 more a year. It's a big promotion. And you're raking in more money. And you think, well, maybe I'll get a bigger house. What else do you do with your money? So you, you get more stuff. And you sit there. It's A year goes by. You're sitting with all this new stuff. You're in this new tax bracket. And you are you have an identity crisis. This isn't you. You're used to you know, 60000 a year from your 10-year job, and now you're up to, what What do you want to say, like over 100000 That's a huge leap, especially in this world. You know, the 1% lives in, you know, above 47000 USD. You're sitting there, you're, all of a sudden, you're at an 87-degree life. This isn't what you're used to. You're gonna, you're gonna subconsciously lower back down to 75. You're gonna stop overachieving at work. That's the bit, that's the hard thing about success. If you start seeing change for the better in your life, you'll have a social responsibility to maintain that level of change. That's your new standard. And some people, I'd say most, a good majority of people can't upkeep that level, that new standard. And so they go back down to 75 degrees. That happens both ways. If you find yourself down after a crash, it's it's a certain personality type of whether you're just going to sit there and you're going to be stuck at a you know 50-degree life when you're used to 75 and you're going to be homeless for a while. But most people will bring, they'll say, hey, I'm a 75-degreeer. I got to go back up to where I belong. And boom, that's the, that's the pick yourself by your bootstraps motto. That's how people rebounded after the Great Depression. They went back to what they were used to. And even then, it wasn't really what they were used to because their standards had changed so much. The world was so much different after the Great Depression. But people came back to what they thought they deserved. It really comes into how, the situation you're born in and what you're going to expect. If you're poor, if you're born poor, you know what it's like to be poor. And you can sit in that cycle of poverty of you know short term you know how am i going to get food on the table for my kids and so you know what it's like to be poor and so you're either going to stay there or you know search for something better you're going to keep going the grass is always greener and you're going to find what else is out there and then if you're born rich you know what it's like to be born rich and so you know what it is this comes down to you know the people going up higher into the one percent 
and it's where you want to be in you know mid to end life you're not going to get too far in the youngin ages until you're you know 30 40 but later on it's how much you want to have accomplished and what you measure accomplishments as if you're born rich you know what it's like to be up there and that's that's ultimately freeing if you're born poor you're going to search for financial gain i'd say if you can if you can do what you love and make enough to live by then you've won You've absolutely won. The meaning of life is to experience, just eat up experiences. And the best way to do that is without a financial burden. And I'd say that's why the rich are lucky to be born rich if they are. Because you get to experience. And then you get to decide where you're going to be. I'm not saying you can't decide that as is. But if you're born in, if you're born under the poverty line, you're, you're going to work to what you what society has deemed success and that's financial gain financial a certain financial status a certain tax bracket and you're going to aim towards that first and then if you see success if you're working hard enough that's when you get to the point where rich people were when they were born rich you get to expand towards your interests you get to pursue what you're passionate about if you haven't been doing that already to make money so Based on those two examples, I'd say born in the middle class is one for a passion standpoint, one of the worst positions. I couldn't tell you if it was the worst or not, but when you're born in the middle class, it comes from a position of good enough. That's what everything is really defined as. You, You don't have to worry about food on the table. You're not worrying about health insurance. Maybe that's at the low end of the middle class. Everyone's everyone's perspective on the low to high middle class is different for each class. Each point in society determined by financial stability. And it's really about what is good enough and what you're dealing with. I think a lot of complacency stems from the middle class. The middle class that is shrinking. And I'd say part of that is from... Not it is the economy and also from a, a a complacency. It's what you're willing to put up with. If you're used to you know skipping every other meal, uh, then that's that's what you're used to. The brain loves familiarity. It really comes down to how much you can go out of your comfort zone, and really expand to how you see your life going to be in the next twenty years. When you don't picture what you want to become, picture who you want to become what i you know i swear i'm usually a funny guy but for some reason these podcasts just end up philosophical i'd I'd blame that on a a platform to entertain all day in my everyday life and then this is this is where it really boils down and my thoughts get a brewing middle class man everything's good enough that curse of good enough really gets in the way of advancement in any part of your life if you bring it back to the abuse standpoint if you're used to getting abused it's going to be hard to break that cycle because you're not sure what really is good for you it it hurts man but you got to remind yourself that you're going to die you're going to die one day and do you want your life that you passed on we don't know if this is the only life we get could be multiple could be buddhism could be reincarnation hopefully that'd be cool i don't know if i'd take it or not we don't have evidence for any religion. Maybe we do. It all comes from belief. I'd say religion really matters on how it gets you through your day. But you got to remind yourself you're going to die. 
that's one thing no religion really takes out or any cult. You're going to die. That's the end of it. And how much are you willing to spend it settling with good enough? You're going to die one day. So what are you going to do before then? You know, life's characterized by experiences. So I'd say the meaning of life is to experience as much as possible and just eat it up. The human, the human life is based on consumption. That's why capitalism works so well. How much experiences can you eat up? How many relationships can you make? How many people can you make laugh? If that's your thing. How many people can you educate on the facts of George Bush's uh, budding EDM career? How much? How many factoids can you spill about the entrepreneurial spirit of chimpanzees? What can you do about bored farm girls and their rug-burned clits because they're so bored? And they just had their sexual awakening while their dad's away. That reminds me of... Nope, that... (laughs) Farm girls don't remind me of it. But I was going to Best Buy. And this it's next to some golf place. And this old man comes out with his kid. With their golf bag strung over their shoulder. And they're now using a crosswalk. And he freaks out that we came so close in the car to him. And he's like... I couldn't hear him through the window. But he was yelling and throwing his hand up and i'm just laughing the whole time because it's hilarious but at the same note it's pretty damn sad he's with his kid a young teenager and the the guy's so peeved about us coming within 10 feet of him while he's walking and not looking both ways kid you'll learn that in first grade your son could have told you he's so angry so angry how much of your life are you gonna spend mad at things that don't matter in 10 minutes. You got to ask yourself, is this going to matter in 10 minutes? Is this going to matter in an hour? Tomorrow, is this going to matter? No, absolutely not. There's no almost, nothing happened. It didn't happen. The reality that exists is the one that's happening now. There's no past, no future. You're not guaranteed anything in the future. Why not enjoy what you have now? Don't waste it being angry at simple shit. Think of your son. Standing right next to you, walking along with you, looking scared out of his mind because his dad's freaking out over bullshit again. It's not going to... Why? You have a son. Shouldn't you love him? Shouldn't you be proud of him? Why waste your time complaining about a bad driver in your eyes and not spend more time setting a good example for your kid? Your kid's going to look at you and be like, what the hell is wrong with this guy who thinks he's going to take me through life until I'm an adult? He gets mad at cars. He should be grateful he didn't get hit. Shouldn't you be more grateful you didn't get hit than getting mad at someone not looking where they're driving? You can't take accountability for every bad driver on the road and get mad when they're not doing well. You didn't teach them. You shouldn't feel responsible for them. Why are you angry? They didn't disappoint you. (laughs) They didn't learn from you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault, so don't get mad. I feel like there's some truth to that. Don't get mad. It's not your fault. Control what you can control. Don't get angry over what you can't. Lessons to live by. Age doesn't matter. You're going to... Age really doesn't matter. Don't... Everyone was at the same point as one point in their lives. We're all the same. We each got a little bit of God in us. So don't worry about where you're going or where you've been. Where they are going... Where they've been, 
follow the same person on the road for 20 minutes because you're accidentally going to the same place. You know when that happens when you when you're on a long road trip and you're following the same car for however many miles and they get off and you just watch idly by reminiscing over how many how long you got to stare at their bumper now they're gone and you're alone on the road again life's life's not difficult it matters in your perspective and the difficulty you put put on to it how much are you doing for yourself how much are you doing for your public image how much are you doing to please other people what are you living by live by yourself because that's the only thing you're guaranteed to have at any moment unless you die you got yourself why expect more why expect less why expect you know on that same note why not expect everything else i'd say that's that's where sadness comes in if you expect more than what you know you really deserve we don't deserve anything we uh, who maybe what can you say Uh, on that note Live your life, shoot your shot, smell your stink, smell someone's stink that you like, and hopefully they like yours. Sleep tight, hot little mamas. Maybe I'll see you next week, huh? Pasta.